Luke chapter 1, let's jump in. Uh, today, we are on a third part of our Good News series, and we're talking today about how God keeps His promises, how God keeps His promises. So the first set of good news that Jesus brings to us is that you can be certain. We saw that from Luke chapter 1, verse 4. You don't have to be unsure about Jesus, about God, about heaven and hell, about where you're going to spend eternity, about why you're here, who made you. Those are things you don't have to guess at, things you don't have to wonder about, things you don't have to worry about. Jesus has given us his word so we can know and be certain that Jesus is the Lord and that you can have salvation in his name. So Jesus brings us good news. The second piece of good news was that nothing is impossible with God. We saw last week that God did it this way on purpose. He made a barren woman give birth and a virgin give birth to bring about his plan to show that nothing is impossible with God. We take that truth, we apply it into our lives, and we're encouraged and blessed to keep pursuing him even though things look impossible around us. The third thing today that's intertwined with the last thing is that God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. And I know some of you here already struggle with that concept because your life has been filled with broken promises. Broken promises from your parents, broken promises from those who love you, broken promises from people that you trusted, broken promises from spouses, broken promises from people in your workplace, broken promises. Your life has been filled with broken promises. And when you hear someone say, hey, somebody always keeps their promise, and some of you may really believe that about God, Factually, yeah, I know God's always faithful. I know he keeps his promises, but you're not believing it really with your whole heart. It's not giving you the kind of joy, steadfastness, strength that it should give you on a daily basis. It's not affecting you like it should. You're still just struggling so much with certain things and worried so much, and those things can pass with the Lord coming into your place, the Lord coming to you and saying, I keep my promises. He encourages you. He reminds you to help you in the midst of your worries, anxieties, depressions, and whatnot. Not that those things are immediately fixed by believing this, but God wants to remind you that God keeps his promises. He wants to help you. And I wonder if that truth has affected you at all, if it's mattering in your day-to-day life. So God keeps his promises. God is 100% consistent. And that's what we're going to learn from Luke chapter 1 today. So why don't you read with me uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 39 through 56. Remember to have your book. The goal is don't spectate, participate, which means A, you can talk back to me, B, you should write stuff in your book, okay? I can say this a thousand times, a sermon is a cherry on top, okay? The ice cream of your devotional life is your own time with the Lord. You cannot live off sermons alone. You need to learn how to read the word for yourself. I'm doing 10% of my job. If all I do is preach a sermon to you, I want to help you, equip you to read the word for yourself. This is how you will grow. Y'all hear me? Yes. This is how you will grow. You will not grow because there's a a preacher every week. I hope that helps you. Duh. I hope it helps you. But this is not it. This is not the show. Okay? The show is the Lord, and you can meet with the Lord every day. You have the Holy Spirit. He can teach you every day. And God equips people like me and others who teach the Bible to help you. Praise God for that. I've been so helped by Bible teachers. My life has been transformed by pastors and preachers. But the real transformation comes with your time with the Lord. So... Read the book, write it, get used to it, scribble it, learn to spend the time with the Lord on your own. So Luke chapter 1, let's dive in, verse 39 through 56. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah, and she greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Verse 49 should be a testimony. Everybody should be yes and amen. You who know the Lord need to be remember verse 49. Remember verse 49. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So underline verse 45, I want to show you a simple thing today, what I'm going to call the blessing of belief. And I want everybody in this room to receive and enjoy the benefits of the blessing of belief. She says, blessed are you who believe that there will be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her. from the Lord." Her belief is what led to her blessing. And what I want to show you today is belief is not something that you force into existence. The strength of belief is never in your power to force it, but in God's power to fulfill it. You don't try to work up more belief. I will believe today. You wake up saying, oh, yes, I can do it. I will conquer this today. That's not how it happens. Belief is a byproduct of something the Lord is and something the Lord does. It's a byproduct of really seeing how good God is, how God always keeps his promises, how God fulfills his every word, how I can trust him. So I want to give you the blessing of belief today by showing you that God fulfills his word, that he keeps his promises I don't want to leave the burden on you to create more belief in your life. That's not how the Lord speaks about it. But I want to present to you Jesus, present to you God, and the byproduct of really seeing who God is will be to create more belief. will be to give you the blessing of belief. So we're going to do that by looking at these last few verses here. So at the end, I want you to circle in remembrance of his mercy and as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. These are two little pieces that basically tell us exactly what I'm saying. This is how Mary says that God keeps his promises. This is Mary's way of saying God keeps his word always and forever. And what we're going to see is from Genesis throughout history, Mary is looking back on everything God has done, and she's saying this is how God keeps his word to people he spoke to thousands of years before. And remember last week when we said nothing's impossible with God, we remembered, we saw that God is always working, always preparing, always fulfilling. And one of the things we were encouraged by, hopefully, is that when the plan appears to be on pause, when it feels like I'm stuck, when it feels like the plan of God for my life has hit the pause button and is not moving forward, what I know from the scriptures is that instead of a pause, it's in progress. Because God is always working. And this is the truth I need to take into my life because it feels like a pause. I will convince myself it's a pause, and I will convince myself God isn't working when that is not true. And so I want us to see from here today how God keeps his promises. God is not a liar. The Bible says he is not a man that he should change his mind. 
I say yes and amen to that, right? My goodness, I change my mind every three seconds. The people around you, my kids don't even, they don't even know how to change their mind because they always live with a changed mind. Nothing ever stays the same. Uh, well, that's just how we are, you know? We go one way, boom, 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 and it's super frustrating. I know people that work with me are like, man, you change your mind a lot. You know, I kind of went, I know, I know. It's super frustrating, but God never changes his mind. He doesn't change his mind. Now, the Bible will give us times where God reverts course, but it's because of his prior plans, not because all of a sudden God decided to change his mind. God is not a man that he should lie or change his mind. So I want to show you from the scriptures, and then I'm going to apply it to your life. I want to show you what Mary's talking about, just theologically, biblically. What is she explaining to us? So let me show you Genesis 12, 1 through 3. You should write this in the side of your notebook there, um, uh, close to as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring. So Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then he does it again. Genesis 15, 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue... Everybody say it. Childless. Y'all remember last week, what we think is a problem is just an opportunity for God. An empty womb was preparing to give birth. This was our theme last week. It's the same here. I was childless, and the heir of my house is a laser of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, That man, this man, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, he said, look towards heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. And then Genesis 22, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. Your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth. Be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. God promises this thousands of years before, and then Mary said, now what is happening is what you spoke to Abraham, and what you spoke to his offspring. This is why God describes himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why does God always introduce himself that way? Why is he always, he's doing that as a reminder to say, these are the men, these are the people I spoke to originally and made my plan with, and I am Feeling that through them. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God who spoke then, who speaks now. I am the God who makes promises and fulfills them. This is who I am. So God speaks to Abraham this way, and Mary understands that this thing that's happening in Luke, thousands of years later, is the result, the culmination of what God promised to Abraham in the very beginning. Now, that's thousands of years later. I think one of the things we have to remember that we're going to see a little bit today is God does not work on our timeline. God does not work on our timeline. Now, this is important because we think God's timeline is equal to his character. So when the timeline doesn't work, the character is problematic. When the timeline is off, then he must not be good. When it doesn't happen when I need it, he must not be a provider. When the situation hurts, he must not be a father. 
because so-and-so wouldn't do that. Because we think the timeline is equal to and exemplifies God's character. And so now we leave the faith. Maybe some of you are here. You left the faith because you didn't think God was doing what he should do if he was good, a provider, and all that. And the problem was never God. It was your understanding of God's timeline. You thought he had to work at a certain time to be good. You thought he had to come through right now to be a provider. And because he didn't and was working on a different timeline, you've now accused God of being something he is not. And you're not leaving God. You're leaving your misunderstanding of God. God was never faulty in the first place. And so often we associate our plan with God's plan, and we leave very little room for his plan to be different from ours. And when he doesn't do it the way we think he should do it, we blame him. We think he's not good anymore. And what I want you to see from this is God doesn't work that way. God's timeline is way different than our timeline. God took thousands of years to fulfill this promise, and he's taking another, however long he decides to go, thousands of years to bring it ultimately to pass. God's timeline is not our timeline, and the Christian life, more often than not, requires a ton of patience, a ton of waiting on the Lord. But what we need to learn from the Lord is timeline isn't off. His timeline is perfect because he knows the direct route to go. Let me give you an example. So when I drive to CVS, I live very close to CVS. It's the guy, you know, one-stop shop for all things. And so it's like three minutes to get to CVS. There's a Starbucks right next to it. It's a drive-through Starbucks. When you have four kids, it's amazing. You go through the drive-through, grab your stuff, whatever, you know. And I go to CVS. Now there's two ways I can go to CVS. The first way is to take a route through the neighborhood and to try to cut across four lanes of major traffic. But it's, it's a direct shot. It's four lanes with a direct shot. Now another way is to go eh, like three minutes longer, swing up, come down, and then hit a turn lane and just cut right in. Now, the first way always appears to be faster. It's a direct line. The second way appears to be longer. But what happens is usually the second way works out better than the first way. Usually I get there more officially when I take the longer route. And what I want you to see is oftentimes God works this way, that when we think the direct line is from A to B, God knows all the problems that will come along the way. God knows the traffic that's going to hit. God knows the issues that will come. God knows the risk you might have taken to get through the traffic and gotten hit by a car. God knows the route you thought was good was not good. So God reroutes and takes you on something that appears to be longer but is better. It appears to be longer, but it's actually shorter because you didn't get in an accident. And that takes you a lot less time. And God's rerouting and he's taking this plan because he knows the best way to get to the destination. And so often in our minds, we think A to B, what's the shortest way to get out of this pain, into this job, into this fulfillment of my life, you know, whatever. It's, it's got to be this way, God. If it doesn't go this way and it doesn't happen quickly, you must be doing something wrong. And all the while, God knows things you don't know. He knows what's ahead. He knows what you need. He knows the best route for not just your life, but his plan. Remember, God's not dealing with one life, but billions of lives. God's orchestrating this whole story of the world for one big end. He's bringing it all together. And so God knows the best way. He knows the best route to take. And so if we misassociate a bad route for God's good timeline, we're going to blame God. And God wants us to have his perspective. We come to get informed that God does not always and usually does not work even close to what our timeline would be. And when he doesn't come through in our timeline, what we should not ask is, God, 
how could you? What we should ask is, God, what are you doing? How can I join you in what you're doing? What is it that's happening now? Why am I taking this route? Why are you taking this route? How can I follow you in it? And so we need to trust the Lord. The Christian life requires patience. That's why so often in the word, the encouragement to the saints is to wait on the Lord. Is to wait on the Lord. God knows sometimes it's better to wait than to get there right away. You thought it would be best just to get it done. And God knows, no, you would have made it there just fine. But it would have been better if you waited. You would have gotten that right away. It would have been better if you waited. You could marry that person right now. It would be better if you waited. You know, all these different things. God's doing that all the time. And he knows the best route to take. So I want you to not associate God's timeline with God's character. Because we have a difficult time understanding God's timeline. But his character is crystal clear. I know God's big plan. I have no idea how he's working that out on a daily basis. I could, I could guess wrong a thousand times and get frustrated, but God's character never changes, and I can rely on that 100%. So when I spend more time on the plan than the person, that's when I get frustrated. So instead of spending so much time on the plan, focus on the person of Jesus. So I want to show you two things from this passage in relation to how God keeps his promises. The first is that God never regrets what he says. I love this. God never regrets what he says. God doesn't make promises he won't keep. He doesn't say, hey, yeah, I got you, and then not come through. Or, yeah, I'll send you that $20 on Venmo and never send it. He doesn't do those kinds of things. God doesn't regret having said something. He doesn't frantically try to figure something out. You know how we're like, yeah, I can totally do that. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, and then you try to go figure it out. This is like my life. I'm always like, totally 100% I can make that happen. And it's like, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? And you try to frantically figure it out. And God never does that. God does not regret anything he's ever said. God doesn't put his foot in his mouth. He doesn't try to grab his words back to be like, oh, I shouldn't have made that promise to Abraham. That's a big one. That one's going to be really tough to make happen. I wish I would never have said that. God doesn't do that. God literally never regrets what he says. This is something I want you to see from this text today. If God speaks it, he will see it through. Even if we don't see it now, God will see it through. Even if we don't see it now, God will see it through. Why? Because he never regrets what he said. God's not wondering how he's going to figure it out. You don't see it. You have no idea right now how God's orchestrating this situation for your good. You have no idea right now how God's using this, how God's working in this, what God's plan is, why he would leave you sick, why he would leave your marriage broken, why he would leave these things more difficult, why he would leave problems with you. Why would God leave that there? I have no idea. But we don't see it now. God will see it through. Take that to the bank. Even if you don't see it now, God will see it through. And this is part of the thing that now arises faith to say, man, I don't have to see God working it out right now for me to have faith that he's doing it. I don't need to see it. I just need to see him. See the difference? I don't need to see the plan of God. I just need to see the person. If I can see Jesus, it'll be okay. Because I know he's good. And I know he's working it out. I know he loves me. And so now, even if I don't see it now, I know God will see it through because he does that time and time again in his word. God keeps his promises. If I don't see it now, God will see it through. If I don't see it now, God will see it through. Take that to the bank. And I would say, along with Mary here, blessed is the one who believes that. You want the blessing of belief? Believe this, that even if I don't see it now, God will see it through. Even if it's not working it out now, God's working it out. Even if it doesn't appear to be working, God's working it out. This is the truth about the scriptures. This is how God keeps his promises. God never regrets what he says.
Never. The second thing I want you to see from this is God doesn't forget what he promises. So God does not regret and God does not forget. God does not regret and God does not forget. He does not forget what he promises. Look at this, particularly what we circled. He acts to what? Remember his mercy. Why is God doing something in Luke 1 right now? Why? Why is he acting? Well, because he doesn't forget. Now, it looked like God forgot. It looked like he forgot for an awful long time. And it looked like things were over. But even if we don't see it now, God will see it through. This is important. It may look like in your life God has forgotten. It may look like he doesn't see it. It may look like it's over. It may look like he's moved on. It may look like whatever. But we see in the scriptures that God does not forget. God does not overlook. God does not miss. God does not forget what he promises. So he acts here to remember his mercy. I love this because this shows us really what's at the very center of the heart of God. This shows us what's at the very center of the heart of God. I want to show you a few scriptures because some of you walked into this room, maybe a friend brought you or whatever, and you're anxious about coming to church. You weren't sure exactly how that would feel. You feel dirty, like you got too much crap in your life. And not only you'll be around a bunch of Christians who you may assume are judgmental, which hopefully we are not. We love you. We're just as jacked as you are. And then you may think God would never receive me. Not only would I fit in with all these Christians, but I don't, I don't think God would ever love me. But what I want you to see, and what we're going to see throughout this, is that God's mercy is mighty. And there's nothing too strong for him to overcome. God loves you in the midst of your brokenness, ugliness, and destruction. And he wants to be merciful to you. And he wants to do it today. He doesn't want you to leave from here and get things right for a week before he does that. God's heart is to extend mercy. This is what he loves to do. So let me show you a few scriptures. Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So when God revealed himself to Moses, the very first thing that he says is that God is a merciful God. The very first attribute that he chooses to reveal is mercy. Psalm 145, 8 through 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and get this, his mercy is over all he has made. James picks this up, James 2.10. He says, mercy triumphs over judgment. And then Mary's going to pick this up for us here. She says, he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. As we said, you should write this down. God's mercy is mighty. God's mercy is mighty. It's stronger than our sin, stronger than our situation, stronger than our suffering. It triumphs over every trouble, every trial. God's mercy will have the last word. It conquers all the judgment that we deserve. God's mercy overcomes our sin. It kills the sting of death. God's mercy rises Jesus from the dead. God's mercy offers salvation to anyone who would believe in his name, no matter their tongue, tribe, ethnicity, no matter what their situation in life and how broken they are. God's mercy overcomes all things. God's mercy is mighty. Y'all say amen. amen. God's mercy is mighty. That's what I mean when you don't you participate, don't spectate. If you can't say amen to that, you should come up and talk to me. You need to get saved, right? I want to talk to you. God's mercy is mighty. Amen. That's good. And I want to show you something here as 
that as good of news as that is, not everyone receives God's mercy. Look at this. God's mercy is for who? Those who hear him. God's mercy is for those who follow him. God's mercy is for those who trust in him. God's mercy is for those who believe in him. So the question for many of you today is I want to show you God's mercy is great, and it's the reason why he keeps his promises, but the question for you is are you positioned to receive God's mercy? Are you positioned to receive God's mercy? Because as much as we love to talk about the mercy of God, and as much as it's central to the heart of God, God also judges sin. God is a God of wrath. God hates evil doing, and the only salvation that anyone can have is in Jesus. And the only way to receive the mercy of God is to follow Jesus. You can't receive the mercy of God by following a prophet. You can't receive the mercy of God by following a religion. You can't receive the mercy of God by coming to church. You can't receive the mercy of God by being a good person. You can't receive the mercy of God any way you could possibly fathom. There is only one way. It's in Jesus. Jesus gives us the mercy of God, but you have to position yourself to receive it. And some of you think just by being a good person, you're going to receive God's mercy. And I hate to tell you that's not enough. Just by coming to church, I'm going to receive God's mercy. By following some religion, I'm going to receive God's mercy. Even by trying to be a Christian, I'm going to receive God's mercy. No. The only people who receive God's mercy are those who hear him, meaning those who follow him, those who honor him, those who love him. So the question for many of you is, are you positioned to receive the mercy of God? And the simple way we see that in the scriptures is for you to turn to the Lord in desperation and say, yes, I will receive your mercy. And some of you need to do that today. So as we close out, God does not regret God does not forget. And the last thing we're going to see here is that God is not looking for those who deserve his mercy, but those who are desperate for it. God is not looking for someone to earn it, for someone to work for it, but for those who are desperate for it. Look how consistently in this passage, Mary talks about the humble. Verse 48, he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. Verse 52, he has exalted those of a humble estate. Verse 52, he has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. You know, I think this is why when God comes into the world, he comes in the form of a baby. And he comes in Jesus, and he comes to a virgin mom, and he comes into a stable. Is that God chooses humble beginnings. And God takes the humble start and he exalts Jesus to the highest place of prominence. This is what God does. God doesn't make a big deal out of who people are. He makes a big deal out of their disposition, out of their desperateness. And for those of us who are here, the way you position yourself to be in the mercy of God, receiving the promises of God, a part of God's plan, is to be desperate for God's mercy, not attempt to deserve it. And the way we know the mercy of God most clearly is in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1.20, I love this. You should write this down. For all the promises of God find their yes. yes. Everybody say yes. 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 All the promises of God find their yes in him. Every single promise God has ever made is kept in Jesus. And get this. The only way to experience the promises of God is to be with Jesus. The only way to receive the mercy of God through the promises of God is to be united with Jesus. Jesus. Because all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus. Now this is true once and for all. Many of you need to follow Christ today, turn from your sin, and choose to trust in him. This is also true every day. Where if you want to receive the blessing of belief to help you 
build your faith in the Lord, to help you walk this life he's called you to, part of it is uniting yourself again and again and again with Jesus. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, spending more time with Jesus, learning more about Jesus, because in him, all of God's promises are yes. And as we said in the beginning, as we close with this, this is why it's so important that if I test God's promises, I don't test them by the revelation of his plan, but the revelation of his person, Jesus. I don't seek God's plan out to test his promises. I seek the plan, the person of Jesus. And so often we're so focused on the plan, we look left, we look right, we look out. We're trying to sort it out, trying to figure it out. We've just missed the person. And the whole time, all of God's promises, all of God's plan, all of God's peace, all of God's everything was available to us in Jesus accessible to us in Jesus. Not something we have to figure out, don't have to do A, B, and C, don't have to wonder. Jesus has come. Jesus had revealed some help. Jesus has died and risen again. Jesus is alive today, and we can speak with him and know him and be with him. This is the truth of the scriptures, that God gave us his yes in Jesus. God gave you his yes in Jesus. Even as you're giving God your no, God has given you his yes. And God wants you to say yes and to receive him today. To say yes to his yes for you. And then to say yes every day. To say, I know, God, you've given me your yes because of Jesus. So if it feels like no, you're really saying yes. If it feels like, no, I can't heal you right now. No, I won't do this right now. No, I can't help with this right now. No, you're going to stay like that for now. Remember, what you're not getting is no. You've already gotten a yes. And every no that God ever gives you is in the context of his yes. That God has already given you his yes because of Jesus, not because you deserved it or earned it, not because you could merit it, not because you went to church and were a good Christian. God gave you his yes because of his mercy. Now, every day you can experience the yes of God if you will believe that God has already given you his yes. And stop living every day wondering if God is for you, wondering if God is with you, wondering if God will do what he said and look back at Jesus, look what God has done. He has given you his yes. And take that to the bank and believe it. So as you're navigating everyday life, when things are hard and it's painful and difficult and problematic, when it feels like God is giving you his no, you need to hear the scriptures that God has already given you his yes. And once again, if you test the timeline of God to prove the character of God, you're going to be frustrated and lose your faith. And what I want you today to hear is God has already said yes to you in the person of Jesus. So stop looking at the plan. Start looking at the person. Spend your time looking at the person, and in Jesus, all the plans of God will become clear over time. And everything God wants to be for you will be provided for you in Jesus. And then if you're on part B of the plan, part Z of the plan, you'll be happy because you'll be in Jesus. God's mercy is mighty, and I hope everybody in this room positions themselves to receive God's mercy. God always keeps his promises. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We thank you. Thank you that you always keep your promises. Thank you that your mercy is mighty, Lord. Thank you that no one can stop you from keeping your promises. No king, no president, no ruler, no bad parent, no bad boss, no bad situation, no health problem, no sickness can keep you from keeping your promises. You are strong. We thank you that you choose to be merciful to us. And I just pray, Lord, I pray for us as a church. I pray that we would position ourselves to receive your mercy we would fix our attention on Jesus, that we wouldn't get distracted by the plan, that we would be a people focused on Jesus. We thank you that you've already said yes to us. We don't have to wonder. You love us, which is crazy, and we're so thankful. And I just pray, Lord, everybody in this room would receive the blessing of belief.
whether it's for the very first time, whether it's an encouragement, a renewal, a reminder, I pray, Lord, that we would walk out of here confident in who you are, your plans for our life, most importantly, in the person of Jesus. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.